everyone has mental health. That's the thing. And I don't think a lot of people understand that. And that it fluctuates. But no one will ever be the pitch perfect, 100%, always good, all the time. That it always fluctuates. Because me, I've had points where sort of exams and stress and things have been hitting me and my mental health is at its worst. But there are points where generally I'm kind of just sort of in the middle, but sort of floating up and down, but not really at the extremities. So I think there really needs to be an understanding that it's acceptable to talk about your mental health. It's acceptable to be, you know, struggling and it's acceptable to come to terms with your mental health and to sit down with yourself or someone else that you trust and someone that you can be open with and say, I'm struggling can you help me or can I support you? And I remember not too long ago, I went to um, an online talk where Dr. Axe George was speaking, who is the uh, health ambassador for the government, which is really brilliant. And he was talking about how the hardest part of opening up to someone and sort of getting help with your mental health is that first initial talking to someone. And once you manage to calm yourself down and you manage to, you know, get to that level where you can be like, I'm ready to talk then after that, it's easy because people will accept that and people will understand exactly. that. Because he talks about how when he was at university and he was a student, a medical student, he spoke about how there were points where he overwhelmed himself with work so much because he, he just felt that he wasn't doing enough or didn't feel that like he was in a great place at that point. And yeah. one day he was struggling with it and he just went to his mum, picked up the phone and was like, mum, I'm struggling. And he just poured himself out to his mum and told his mum everything. And that made him feel yeah. so much better. So I think the mental health also yeah. needs to be understood that sometimes, yeah, you will need a, a, a psychologist. Sometimes you will need a therapist. Sometimes you'll need just a parent. And sometimes you yeah. just need a friend to lean on. Someone to sit there and just listen to you vent. The good, the bad, yeah. the ugly, they just need to be there to hear you out. And yeah. yeah, sometimes some of us may say, you know, mad, crazy things, but it doesn't necessarily always mean that's what we're thinking or that's what we want to go and act on or what we want to go and do. It's just something you just need to listen to. Because exactly. we all have negative, positive, weird, wonderful thoughts and some of we just need to let them yeah. out sometimes. And then once you let them out, yeah. then you can kind of come to terms with realism and say, okay, I had that thought, but that thought is irrational and that thought I shouldn't act upon and that thought is something that... I'm going to try and sort of repress and try to get over and try to surround myself with positive things and do as many things that I can to sort of get around that. So for me, that was really about sort of dealing with my anxiety and dealing with my um, gesticulations and my hands and my legs and dealing with my sweaty palms and dealing with my hypohidrosis, which now I don't really have a problem with since sort of getting um, medicine to deal with the hypohidrosis and the excessive sweating. So like, it's all about sort of coming to terms with the realism of it and just trying to make sure that you can open up and talk to people. But it also goes the same the other way and you've got to be able to listen to other people too. So yeah. you need to normalise those conversations with your friends. So for example, yeah. I am pretty open with someone that's really open to me. So for example, you're really open and you're really fun, you're really lively. So I find it really, really easy to just talk to you and say here yeah. stuff like right now. Because, like, before, I would not be able to do anything like this. I wouldn't be able to talk in front of people because I would shake and I would sweat. I wouldn't be able to sort of... Even if it was, like, putting my hand up to answer questions for a long period of time, even now, sort of getting into college again, I did sort of deal with my anxiety a little bit because I struggled to sort of answer questions and um, classes and forums where I knew people were going to judge my opinions or views and stuff. But as I've sort of gotten into it and gotten to understand the class and the teachers and everything, I feel more comfortable. And if I'm with you, I can be comfortable with 
anyone really as long as they're open with me and I'm comfortable with listening to what you've got to say to me and what um and I feel that I'm comfortable with letting you hear what I've got to say to you so it's all about Um, normalizing the conversations within your friendships and just starting small and then working your way up because you can't really start on the outside and say I want to help the world I want to talk to the world about mental health or even equality, yeah. equality or education and um, inequality of opportunities you've got to start small and then build up because as you gradually build up you're helping more and more people and normalizing more and more and you're creating rifts and changes similar to that of maybe the smoking ban and stuff it started off with sort of teachers going to the children and the doctors and the nurses and officials creating um uh pressure groups and talking to these schools and and these students and these students were telling their parents about how smoking was bad and how secondary smoking is really bad as well because the children are inhaling the smoke that comes out of the cigarette that's not filtered and as time went yeah. on it was normalized and it was understood that we've had this information about smoking since the 1930s 40s but we've not been acting on it because society's just gone and said hey it's fine but as yeah. as sort of within families and groups and stuff like that and doctors and things it sort of become understood that it genuinely is bad. And that was when companies yeah. started changing, going, we'll take off the advertising from sports cars, from films, from food and stuff like that, and change yeah. the watershed for TV programmes and make sure that we're not showing the wrong things before certain times because kids, maybe before now, yeah. will be watching TV and things like that. So, yeah, it's just all about the normalisation and the education from roots and above. Exactly. So I know you are a history, uh, not history, I'm a history <laughs> I know you are a law, like start again. law and politics student. And um, yes. within sort of politics, there's a lot of discrimination, especially when it comes to sort of um, voicing the minorities and mental health. Yeah. What do you think about this? Yeah. <laughs> Wait, sorry. When it comes to discrimination um, and mental health within politics, what do you think about it and sort of breaking the stigma and how certain, for example, like um, Keir Starmer in the news recently and how yeah. it seems to be supporting fundamentalist church, which are quite frankly homophobic. What do you think about this? Um, it upsets me, to be honest, like as a queer person. We stand! Um, <laughs> seeing like I don't know, a lot of support for, like, minorities is very performative. Mm. People make, like, a big show of supporting us, and then as soon as it comes, like, yeah, if it, like, inconveniences them, they're not going to do it. Mm. Um, I think that needs to change, because a lot of the time, it's the minorities whose mental health are the most impacted because we're already we're facing so much like discrimination um and obviously like i'm very privileged as a white person um and like a cisgender person to like not experience so much like hatred and stuff like that um but at the same time it's like i think there are certain things that I've experienced where it's like it's really like um upset me and made me feel like I didn't really belong mm, in society. Um like 
I would kind of get told in my sexuality was a phase and that um, I'd change and become normal as I got older. And then, because I'm autistic, I'd like, um, no one really knows anything about autism. And, like, everyone just always makes fun of it. And it's like, well... And there's not enough, like, representation of autistic people in the media that aren't, like, white men who are good at maths and reading. Like, that's literally all you see. It's like, I'm sick of being compared to Sheldon Cooper. Mm. Like, can we come up with something else, you know? It's things like that that would make such a difference for um, people who are, like, less privileged there mental health that people kind of like overlook and instead just go to like the textbook like oh we hear you we see you we stand with you it's like but you're um, not create some action for me please yeah literally like they say that and then it's like that's enough activism for today <laughs> <laughs> time to go to bed oh, no, so no, thank no. you but yeah, it really upsets me, you know, like when you see minorities sort of bringing down other minorities, because obviously on both the left and the right, so with conservatives and Labour Party, there are minorities within the parties and things like that. Yeah. A lot of the time you see them moving away from their ideologies and especially yeah. Labour, they're moving away from sort of their emphasis on working class families and backgrounds. And now it's moving more yeah. towards business and they're being a bit more sympathetic to sort of more yeah. um more of the rich really and they're sort of leaving out minorities because they've got more of a focus on sort of winning power and winning wealth yeah. as opposed to sort of helping and supporting their people so it's kind yeah. of hard to see the left and the right moving more to the middle to the third way instead of sticking to yeah. and sticking to the ideologies yeah it kind of like i don't feel like there's a single political party that actually like represents me mm. because it feels like as and like all the stuff with case Downs today has really like cemented that Definitely. because I thought like even though case Downs has said some questionable things very questionable things and and um not acted at times that he very much should have I thought he would have enough sense to not support an organization that literally wants us dead because <laughs> like, a lot of these sort of fundamentalist churches and things like that they all support sort of conversion therapy and if you've seen conversion therapy with effects in the in the short yeah. term they think like oh they've helped and they've done something but in the long term conversion therapy is so damaging whether it be verbal, it's like traumatising. Yeah, it traumatises people for life. And this is not like a one-time thing. Like, we've seen, like, the effects of conversion therapy in so many young people. And they yeah. think that it works. And they think, like, oh, in the short term, they sort of revoked or removed the, the sin that they're in or whatever they want to call it. That in the long yeah. term, we've seen so much more um, people with mental health issues. For example, in 2017, there was only one in nine people with uh, mental health issues but now it's one in six people in 2020 that young people that have suffered with mental health issues so you can really see how yeah. the pandemic has really exacerbated these issues yeah 
So earlier on, we were talking about sort of the romanticization and how sometimes mental health isn't really sort of looked at properly. And I especially yeah. think that when it comes to sort of um, things like eating disorders and things like that and how yeah. sometimes and even things like people say sometimes are sort of really misunderstood and everyone yeah. sort of stereotypes the few um, eating disorders and says, oh, well, if you've got this eating disorder, then you've got to act like this. Or if you've got this mental health, yeah. you've got to act like this. And sometimes you get the problem where people who are not specifically related or specifically with that person who has that mental health issue, for example, their therapist or psychologist or their friends and family who know them, you get sort of like doctors and nurses and other people outside who sort of take the mental health act and they section someone on the grounds of their mental health because I think that something they've said or something they've done is specifically putting them in danger mentally, even though maybe yeah. times that that's just how they sort of express themselves sometimes. And in the short term, yeah. I'm sure they think they might have like helped someone or sort the situation out or stopped them from potentially harming themselves. But in the long run, they might have made things so much more worse and it would have been so much better yeah. if they dealt with the physical health issue that a person was going through and left the yeah. health issue for their sort of um, psychologist or the therapist or the friend that you know that has experience with that person to sort of help them out yeah I think it's like it would especially help if in schools like teachers had more training like dealing with mental illness and like identifying signs that someone they're teaching is um self-harming or suicidal or mm. maybe going through an eating disorder because I know, like, when I was um, self-harming in, like, year 10, um, I was literally, like, desperate for someone to notice, and no one really did. And it's like, I'm not really, like, I have no hard feelings with any of my teachers for that. But I think it was just, like... They didn't know what to do, and they didn't, like, do yeah. So it's not really their fault. It's yeah. Just, like, they didn't have the funds yeah. or training or anything to do. So. Yeah. Because for a lot of young people... Um, then their parents may not be supportive yeah. um, of like going to um, a GP about yeah. a mental illness. The waiting list is so long that can be really discouraging for a lot of people. So for a lot of young people, like teachers and like school counselors and stuff, are the only people they have. And mm. um, obviously, like it shouldn't really be the teachers' like load to bear, mm. but. At the same time, like, there should be more support in place for teachers so that they can, like, um, look for these things and be able to, like, work with students on them. Because I honestly felt a lot more comfortable going to, like, my teachers than I did, um, like, school counsellors or anything like that. Because it's, like, you know them more. You're, like... You have you build a closer relationship with them, and they know you. Yeah, so I think it would be like beneficial for schools to like put training in place so that teachers can, especially like as the amount of people who are mentally ill is rising. Um, there could be so many people who are like going through these things. Um and just want someone to like notice mm. and then could feel really hopeless when no one does like yeah. I think that really links to sort of like the top two topics that we're going through 
um, with the UK Youth Parliament because currently our campaign we had um, a make make your mark consultation which involves um, all people in the UK and um, British overseas um, in the military and the top two topics were transforming education and mental health and I think it would really yes. help if teachers had the provisions and they had the support from sort of outside um, drop-off points and drop-off centres that were local yeah. to people to help them out because a lot of places don't have that they don't have sort of like extra charities and local things to help them help the NHS that's kind of struggling right now with the um, yeah. waiting lists so to implement some sort of strategy where there was a whole UK-wide campaign to not only sort of reduce the stigma but to also set up more charities and more drop-off centres and more points where young people can seek help but at the moment that they need it because you don't always necessarily need like external intervention all the time sometimes you just need someone to lean on and someone just to sort of cry rise out or someone to vent to or even for me for example I remember when I was I was going through my going through it with my mental health all I really needed was someone just to talk to me and just to sit on the phone even though we sat on the phone for like three hours into the night and my parents got back and they were really confused as to why I was still up at that time you know like him being there for me and him talking to me was the best thing ever and there were points where I was on the line and I was crying I was talking about how I was being bullied and stuff like that and he was talking about how like I never even knew because sometimes your friends don't even notice there could be people that you're friends with and they don't even realize that what they're doing is damaging to your mental health because initially yeah. it's all a joke and they think it's banter, but there's a point where exactly, it's yeah. banter to bullying, and that bullying is yeah. so harmful to your mental health. And I especially think, because yeah. like people think that bullying is just like pushing people around mm. or like stuff like that, but especially like lately, bullying is a lot more subtle. Yeah, like seeing people be bullied and like being bullied myself, like. It's, I wasn't ever really, like, beaten up or anything like that. It was always, like, these snarky comments and, like, Mm. stuff that, like, digs into your skin. Like, Mm. it was things like that that got to me more than, like, um, what, like, the stereotypical definition of bullying would be. Yeah. Like, I think, um especially with social media and, like, the way we are evolving or, yeah, evolving, um, people kind of need to learn to keep up with us. Yeah, definitely. Because, like, if they don't, then they're going to fall behind and they are behind really. Oh, like, especially people in it, government at the moment they're so yeah. and so out of touch with young people at the moment so yeah. the they take sort of issues that we're going through and they kind of belittle them like oh bullying is not that deep you know we'll put yeah. posters here and put in I don't know a couple Some of people are gay, get over it yeah. Like, and, yeah exactly exactly what I was thinking like they just kind of take issues that are really really big squash them down and kind of like chuck them at you and be like yeah we've sorted it now let's move on it's like a whole nother yeah, it's like just because, just because you've got uh, some people a day get over it, post in your classroom, doesn't mean you have full time of yeah. you know. It's really interesting. It's like, I think the government, and um, just like people in Panama, just adults, mm. are very, like, 
patronizing to us. So I was like, oh, listen to the younger people, and then they don't. Yeah, and when it comes like, to action, and when we come and say, yeah. like, right, we've got a 14-point program or a manifesto or something, and these are things that we'd like to see, a lot of MPs and councillors will kind of look at you like, huh what yeah because i remember i've been like i remember sometimes like i'll email like mps and local people to me and counselors and decision makers and they'll question and they'll be like so you're in a a, a youth council i never knew people in youth councils did that or i never knew 16 year olds wanted votes at 16 or i never thought young people were were that politically active and i never thought young people cared. yeah and they just auto assume as if like they've gone and physically asked us like if you come and ask me i would gladly talk to you about what kind of things that i'd yeah. like to see the reforms that i'd like to see the conservative and labor party the reforms i'd like to see to the reforms i'd like to see in the liberal democrats like i could talk to you about this yeah. forever really but other yeah. people just don't want to come and speak to us when we have valid things to say and we want to exercise our youth voice and our youth voice is so so powerful we've seen it sway exactly. loads of movements we've seen sort of young people um stop um people turning up to donald trump's rally and every ticket being sold out but no one being there so exactly are doing mad things right now so you know we have yeah. the ability we have the power of social media and creating trends to make changes yeah, it's like people continue to kind of ignore us and like vote less ideas. Eventually, we're gonna like we'll we'll have had enough, and then they'll wonder why we're angry, and then by that point, it will be too late. Like we'll have like completely lost all our faith in the government, which is why I think like having someone like Doctor Alex is a really good thing yeah. because we, we know him he was on Love Island we we already know a lot about him he knows a lot about us he understands us I mean I'm pretty sure he like lost a brother to suicide so I think he like he knows enough about like mental illness to understand like why it's such an important thing and I really hope it like brings about some change mm in the way like mental health in young people is perceived and um I hope we can get some funding to um centers and stuff like that that will help our mental health get better, especially um as we like get out of the pandemic. Yeah, because definitely young people we have seen it throughout the pandemic. We have seen a lot of young people, including myself, who have completely lost faith in the government at so many different points. Yeah. And we've gone out and speaking out in our masses. There's been protests in Manchester um, about sexual assault. There's been protests exactly, in the yeah. UK about um, sort of the Black Lives Matter movement and how it's more than just a little trend on a black square on Instagram. Yeah, um, yeah. We've seen that young people can sway sway the ideas and they can sway society and especially when it comes to sexual assault and how damaging yeah. it is and same with domestic abuse and how damaging it is yeah. people's mental health like we all want to speak out about it yeah um, what do you think about the whole 6 p.m curfew oh my god um obviously no one in their right mind supports the 6 p.m curfew 100 percent. like I think a lot of people don't realise that the person who brought up the 6pm curfew did it to make a point, like, to make people see, like, as soon as 
men get told they may have to stay inside. They say it's a violation of their human rights. And then the next minute, they'll be like, oh, if you don't want to get attacked, don't go out. It's like, so you support a 6pm curfew for us, but not for you. Why is that? Mm. You know? It's like, I think... A lot of men so have many, a like, point of privilege where they yeah. don't understand it. And I think it's so much harder for you to be... It's so hard. It's so much harder to have that sort of humility and be able to put yourself in someone else's shoes. Not even just on yeah. the situation. And I'm not saying yeah. that I hate all men and men should go away or whatever, anything like that. I'm just saying that everyone needs to look at the situation a bit more differently. Yeah. It's not all women against all men. It's more about all people against sexual harassment all people exactly. against domestic abuse and now obviously yeah. the 6pm curfew is not going to sort anything out it's probably going to make men more riled up and more annoyed because we've seen exactly. people sort of going out and getting upset about it because obviously a 6pm curfew exactly. either way isn't right no yes. have a 6pm curfew no men should have a 6pm curfew but yeah. it's all about the re-education and the re-socialisation of men so kids yeah. as young as three four should be taught about boundaries obviously not directly yeah. talking to a four-year-old kid about sort of rape or um domestic abuse or anything like that but maybe just talking about equality and respecting boundaries yeah understanding right from wrong when it comes to personal space and respecting those boundaries between people yeah because it's like i think a lot of people um don't realize that like Sexual harassment doesn't just happen at night in, like, dodgy alleys. Like, it happens everywhere. It happens in broad daylight. There's been times in school, in secondary school, where I was, like, catcalling corridors when I was in, like, year seven and eight by, like, older boys. Like, I remember one time when I was in, like, year eight, um, a bunch of older boys were like, oh, do you want to have a threesome with us? Like, I think it's been twice where people have been like, oh... Do you have a threesome? It's like, why? It's like, did they, I ask? Did I speak? Why do they feel so confident to say that? Yeah. Why do they like know they're not going to get in trouble? Because obviously, I didn't feel comfortable to like report it. Mm. Um, it's like every like incident where in school where someone made me feel uncomfortable, I just never felt like I could report it because I never felt like I could be taken seriously and again that's like no disrespect to my school like my school were really good but it's just like I think because there's never really a conversation about it yeah definitely so no one so like no one knows what they're gonna say so I think in secondary school especially there needs to be a kind of thing like we will not tolerate sexual harassment of any kind we have a zero tolerance policy mm-hmm. um and if anyone comes forward with like allegations of sexual harassment or assault we will believe you we will um work through it with you um we will like make sure it gets sorted out because i think the biggest thing that stops people from coming forward about these things is they're scared that they won't be believed yeah um because they see like false accusations and they think that they're going to get treated like that when in reality like men are more likely to be raped than to be falsely accused of rape so it's not even really an argument no no and i just don't like that it stops so many people from 
coming out coming forward about their experiences and I'm really glad that we are being given the opportunity to talk about it now because it's made me like realize a lot of things that happened to me um now and like as a like young teenager wasn't okay Mm. and like yeah it's just made me realize that like I have experienced sexual harassment and it's not just like um dodgy men in white bands it's busy attends that like hang out in football pictures you know like anyone could sexually harass someone it's not just like your like typical stereotypical like um pot belly bold middle-aged man yeah and i think to a certain extent i feel it's because secondary schools are just that part of life where it's just a bit more sheltered yeah and uh, this is no fault to the schools because a lot of them just aren't equipped. They don't have the ability yeah. to have the amount of pastoral care. They don't have the amount of teams, uh, safeguarding teams to sort of look at the situation and look at what's going on at school. But they also don't have the sort of provisions, both um, economic and social, to deal with these situations and to be able to speak up openly about it. And sometimes even the teachers themselves have gone through those issues, but they aren't able to sort of speak about it. Because I know so many teachers who now, sort of after sort of leaving secondary school and leaving sort of those sorts of environments, not even just teachers, like even social workers I've gone and spoken with and youth workers who've gone and told me that like, yeah, whilst you were here, I went through this and this happened to me and I struggled with my mental health for a period of time. That's why maybe you didn't see me for a little bit or I was off for a couple of weeks, but I didn't really sort of talk about that with you because I just didn't feel comfortable or feel able or feel equipped at all because I have no training I have no real knowledge and yeah I experienced it but they just didn't have that comfortability which is why I think that teachers should really have those provisions sort of like resources and they should be able to go on training courses and things like that to be able to understand their own and young people's mental health obviously you don't want to overload teachers but you just want to give them yeah, the yeah. ability to sort of understand what's going on and understand how to help if they can. And then if they can't, then who they can pass that on to and exactly, yeah. how they should sort of like move on from things. Yeah. So in the future, I know that you are wanting to be an aspiring lawyer. So tell me a bit. About yes, that. yes, yes. Um, so... I've always kind of wanted to, um, like, be the change I wish to see in the world. Like, um, when I was younger, and, like, even now, my mum would always call me, like, an advocate for the underdog. Like, if anyone was, like, being bullied, I'd always, like, um, snitch and stuff like that. That was really, <laughs> that was really real. <laughs> I was, like, I took it so seriously. I was, like, the guardian. Um, I think I've wanted to be a lawyer for a really long time and my great aunt is a lawyer, she's a QC and she's, um, oh yeah, she's done, she came from like a similar background to me, like working class um, and like kind of having everything stacked up against her, like as a woman, as a working class person because even now there aren't many female lawyers 
there aren't as many lawyers that like don't come from Oxbridge and like private schools. Mm-hmm. So it's like I know I'm gonna have to work twice as hard, um, for like half as much recognition. But at the same time, I think that's kind of why I want to do it so badly because I want to be able to make people younger than me believe that it's possible. Mm. Kind of like my great aunt has done for me. I don't think I would probably feel like I could be a lawyer if it wasn't for her like doing it. Um, and I just kind of like, I think the justice system is very much like um, whoever has the most money wins. Yeah. And I, I really don't think it's fair. And I, if I can, like, involve myself in any way in, like, changing that and making a positive difference and getting justice for people who have been wronged in any way, especially, like, domestic violence and things like that, um, then I honestly would say my life is I've achieved something. Yeah, we stand that. Like, honestly, I'm feeling you. I want to be the change that I want to see. I don't want to sort of, like, leave it to people to do it later on. That's why, like, yes. like activism is such a big thing for me because yeah, you, you always see, like, people talking about, like, oh, I want this to be changed, I want this to be changed, I want this to be changed. And, like, yeah. MPs and MPs and, and people like that and people, decision makers, they'll always be like, oh, yeah, we'll listen to the youth, we'll create change for them. And then they don't. And then you kind of yeah. that point where it's just stagnant and no one's doing anything, no one's helping anything. And I feel that yeah. for any change to be made, it's got to be made now. Because if not now, yeah. when? And then who? Because exactly. if I'm not making the change, then who's going to make the change? Because it needs to be done now. I'm not waiting until the current government's out. I'm, I'm doing exactly. it now. I'm going to pester every single MP that I can. I don't care if they keep sending me... Um, emails that have been written by their secretaries or emails that look like they've been copied and pasted yes. into a bill I will keep pestering and pestering and pestering until every single MP that I speak to listens to me and acts on my words and the things that I want them to help me with exactly exactly mm. yeah so if you could speak to any decision maker on an issue right now what would it be um, it's kind of a very, like, blanket thing, but just, like, young people, we only see No, but, like, I think I would just ask them to listen to us, you know, mm. and stop, like, dismissing our struggles and stop, like, making a big show of caring about us when it suits them and then, like, leaving us behind as soon as we aren't, like, benefiting you anymore. Um, and just like just give us a platform to speak our minds and like openly discuss things that have affected us especially with like minorities I think um, it's especially important that like black people and people of colour and um, disabled people and um, anyone who has like always had the odds stacked against them is given a chance to like speak about mm. their 
experiences, not just have someone speak on their behalf, but someone give them the microphone to actually like say, this is what I've struggled with. This is what I've had to put up with my entire life. What are you going to do to change it? And then if they like make a big show of changing it and then they don't like make as much noise as humanly possible until they do do something about it. I think that would be the big thing for me. Mm, definitely. I'm agreeing with you there. Because personally, mm-hmm. if I'd vote for 16 right now, the things I would be getting the government to do, especially on yeah. Brexit and stuff like that, because I've always wanted yeah. to travel. I've always wanted to go to Europe, and I was born in Germany, yeah. and um, I was born there, and then we left after three years when my dad was deployed back to the UK in the army. And yeah. I, the German part of my identity is really, really strong. On the same level is my British part of my identity. But I feel that yeah. since Brexit, since leaving the EU, I haven't really had sort of that, that ability to speak up on it and speak about how I belong to both identities. I haven't had the opportunity to say to the government, maybe we should uh, keep closer ties to the EU because I want to be both. Because now I'm yeah. in a situation of, if I want to be German, I want to go to a German university and stuff like that, and for it to be easier for me and not have to pay like massive, massive fees, I've got to revoke the British part of me and get a German passport. And like we've even seen yeah. sort of the vaccine rollout and how there's so much vaccine nationalism and how sort of the EU's gone and said that the AstraZeneca isn't really that safe, even though only a few people have had blood clots and um, out of yeah. the people that have been given AstraZeneca in sort of like Africa and Asia and South America and things like that. And you can really see the hostility between the two and you would have yeah, seen that sort of yeah. after the pandemic and all of sort of the normal people and the civilians and the constituents who have all managed to come together, you would have thought that we would have come together by now. And yeah. I really, really want to just sort of emphasise that and sort of have the ability to, as you said, sort of speak out and to be have my to have my voice heard more, so much more. So yeah. Um so throughout your experience of the pandemic, what would be like your number one crash course? How to survive a pandemic tip? Um, just to like not take a minute of your life for granted. Like spend spend as much time with your loved ones as possible. Um, take up like something new. Just occupy your time with things that are productive and will help you like thrive and become successful and will make you come out of it stronger because um and also if it does benefit you then don't do anything like just make sure that whatever you're doing or not doing is constructive and will be better for you in the future and then hopefully (laughs) we'll come out of all of this with a better perspective in life and um, we'll learn to like treasure the people in our life that we love and um, hopefully my big thing I want um, us to come out of this panoramic <laughs> um, as like just more of a community you know if we've like obviously see our differences and accept our differences 
and unite not despite our differences but with our differences in mind if that makes sense like celebrate each other's differences and um kind of make an effort to learn about each other like learn about different cultures learn about different like identities um i think this experience has taught me that there's so much about the world i don't know mm. and there's so much i want to learn and i hope that like even if covid like becomes just a distant memory i hope i can like look back at this time and say like i spent it changing my perspective on the world and, the, and cultures and the way i see people yeah Yeah, i get you i get you like so from that i've really taken the fact that you said if you're gonna do or not do anything sort of do it for you and make sure you're benefiting yourself and you're benefiting people around you but also take the time to learn about people around you to coexist with other people's cultures and really immerse yourself in other people because i feel that like if you get to know other people and their cultures and the way that they are you can benefit yourself so much more on numerous exactly yeah because i find that learning about people's cultures because i've got friends that are from all over the world i've got friends that are filipino i've got friends that are australian aboriginal and through sort of learning about their cultures and their food and their family and the way that everything works for them is really benefiting my mental health because i've gotten food from their um families i've gotten to meet their families and i've gotten to feel like i'm part of a big community so yeah i my single self and i and uh maybe sort of just your average sort of young black german british and a whole bunch of other things mixed in there um yeah person. but i know that i'm part of something bigger and some i'm part of a, a a massive community that spans the whole world and uh, and i've gotten to know other people's cultures so yeah 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 i think it's great to immerse yourself with other people in their communities to be honest and i just yeah. think people do it more yes so thank you ever so much, Abby. I know we've been here for, the for second a, time. a long while. And yeah, this is our second time running this one through. But yeah, honestly, second time through. It's still been amazing to have you here and to have you talking. Thank and you for having me. Mental health because we, we need to be real with it. Like, it's true. Mm. It's there. It's real. It, you know, and like the yeah. more things like this happen and the more we're really candid and open about mental health, the more we can sort of reduce the stigma and just make it like a just a normal conversation that can be had so yeah yeah thank you for talking sharing your experience being with thank me you for my giving me the opportunity and yeah honestly yeah. Oh. <laughs> thank you for giving me the opportunity thank you <laughs> Bye. Thank you. Bye.